Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome back to a new episode of After the Ending. It is 2018. This is our first episode for the year. Welcome to the show. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. A new episode and a new year. And Phil, how are you this year? How are you so far? How's, how's 2018 treating you? It's good, to, it's good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's good to talk to you, Mike. Uh, 2018 or 2018? What is it? 2018, 2018. I can never decide. Anyway, it's, uh, it's been pretty good so far. It's been very cold over here in England. Yes, yes. Uh, but I had a nice, uh, had a lovely uh, long walk on New Year's Day with a few friends. We went, did a bit of a, a walk to the countryside across some farmer's field. It was very muddy. I couldn't find my walking boots. Oh, jeez. But it was you fun. And, you and footwear. I know. It's, it's, it is my blessing and my curse. <laughs> uh, but we ended up in a nice little country pub where the fire was, was blazing away and we had a nice pint of bitter. And then we walked home in the rain. But all in all, it was very nice. Well, that's good. I, I don't have anything nearly so poetic to report because it's been in sub-zero temperatures. We've been in the middle of this cyclone bomb storm that they've been talking oh, about in the yeah, news. Yeah. Uh, so we've been not leaving the house a whole lot. But, uh, <laughs> but I, do know, I do know one thing, Phil. What's that? It's time for the Jedi to end. Yeah, Star Wars The Last Jedi was out just before Christmas. Uh, everybody was looking forward to it. Then it came out, and then it seemed lots of people loved it. Lots of people didn't love it, and quite a few people hated it. Yeah, it was definitely a mix of of emotions and reactions. But uh, that is our jumping off point because and we're, we've got a big, big episode to kick off the new year. So, Phil, why don't you break down for everyone exactly what we're doing in today's episode? Yes, we are going to be just having one after the ending, but it is for the aforementioned Star Wars The Last Jedi. So basically, we're going to be giving what we think is going to happen in Star Wars Episode Nine. Yes, yes. And typically, we have a kind of a rule, an unspoken rule, if you will, or maybe an unwritten law that we don't do movies that are less than five years old. That's kind of been our, our de facto cutoff. But, you know, Star Wars, everyone wants to talk about it. I'm sure there are some people who may want to hear what we think about it. And also, well... Everyone's probably seen it by now. So, you know, we don't, we don't really have to wait five years because it's such a big, big event movie. Chances are good if you're listening to this podcast, if you're the type of person who listens to a movie podcast, you're, you've probably already seen The Last Jedi. Yes, and if you have seen it, you've probably got a strong opinion on it either way. Exactly, which we'll share ours a little bit later. Uh, but what else we have, Phil? we got more, more exciting stuff. I'm glad you asked, Mike. Yes, we've also got some big interviews with the cast of The X-Files, which has just started, I think, over on your side of the pond. Yep, yep. We got David Duchovny, Gillian Anderson, and director Skinner himself, Mitch Pileggi. And it's a, it's a whole lot of fun. So uh, we've, got, we've got that, which I'm super excited for people to hear our interview with But them. we've got more. We've got more, Mike, haven't we? But wait, there's more. Yes. We've got also, we're going to be looking at our top 10 most looked forward to films of 2018 because there's uh, an awful lot of films coming up and we decided to do this because we're still working our way through some of the films of 2017 but we will get to our top 10 films of 2017 next week next week yeah but this episode we're going to be doing our most anticipated films for 2018 yes there's there's some good ones some big films some small films 
and who knows what they're going to be like. That's right. And then, and then we have <laughs> one more thing, one more thing, because we don't want to leave people hanging with our first episode of the year. Yes, we're also going to be doing, uh, well, chatting about what we did think of Star Wars The Last Jedi. Yeah, it's going to be at the very, very end of the episode, like after everything else. It's going to be spoiler-filled, so we're putting it at the end in case you haven't seen it. Although I will say, if you haven't seen it yet, you probably want to skip over our after the ending as well, because there's probably going to be some spoilers in there. So, But we're still saving it for the very end. If you don't care what we think about Star Wars, you can listen to the episode as usual, and then you can just stop it after the outtakes, and you'll never even know there was more to it. But if you do want to hear what we think about The Last Jedi, and you want to hear us talk about it in spoilery detail, uh, we will have that at the tail end of the episode. So it is a jam-packed episode. I am excited, Phil. Are you? I'm very excited, but um, because the film is still quite, you know, still in cinemas, we're not going to do our usual thing where we go over the plot of what happened in the main film. We're just going to go straight into after the endings because, you know, it's a big film. There's lots going on, but we're just going to go into it because we don't want to spoil it too much. Yeah, it just came out a month ago. You should be able to remember what happened in it. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, great. So, The Last Jedi, let's jump into it. Phil, why don't you start things off with your day after? Okay, well, episode nine, Uniting the Galaxy, or called Got Milk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll get into that discussion. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, the milk. Okay, it is a time of intense confusion in the galaxy. With the death of Supreme Leader Snoke, I suppose there's a... <laughs> yeah, right off the bat, Phil. You don't, yeah, even, right bat, yeah. you don't even let it get a little bit in. You just, like, like second sentence in. Well, like everybody knows. Spoiler. Everybody, yeah. right. So, with the death of Supreme Leader Snoke, the First Order splintered, leading to a galactic civil war. General Hux led the rebellion against Supreme Leader Kylo Ren and ended up working with the Resistance. General Leia arranged to meet with Hux to discuss future plans, but she has not been heard from since. The last Jedi, Rey, has gone in search of Leia. Meanwhile, reports are coming in from the Outer Rim about outposts and colonies being destroyed by unknown attackers. Finn, now a commander, leads a squad of former stormtroopers whose conditioning was broken to investigate the attacks. Poe Dameron leads Rogue Squadron, now a mix of X-Wings and TIE Fighters, in a daring raid against the factory ships of Kylo Ren's forces. And that's when the call ends and we go into, you know, we see a planet. Right. And then that's the end of my day after. Oh, all right. I like how you did that. I was picturing the crawl in my head. That's it. So we have to wait and see what happens. But go on. What's happening then with your day after? Okay. Well, I didn't. I did. I went a different direction than that. Mine's a little bit long, but it's there's a lot to get to, as you can imagine. Oh, well, well, we might as well say, as it's a new year, we've probably got some new listeners. Neither Mike or myself know what the other one has come up with for our after the ending. So any similarities are purely coincidental. Exactly. The ragtag group of rebels on the Millennium Falcon that includes Leia, Finn, Poe, and Rey continue on at light speed looking for a safe haven. Along the way, they receive a transmission for Leia's eyes only. She reads it, then has Rey and Chewie plot a new course. When they come out of hyperspace, they're met by a large frigate. As the view screen comes on, a familiar voice fills the speakers. Greetings, princess. Hello, Lando, says Leia. As, oh, yes. <laughs> as they speak, hundreds of ships start dropping out of hyperspace all around them. Sorry we couldn't get to you on crate, Lando says. A First Order spy intercepted your transmission and diverted it. We didn't get the actual message until you were already off planet. The Rebellion is ready to serve you. Soon, Leia, Lando, and the rest of the commanders of the Rebellion meet to try to map out the future. The loss of Snoke's fleet and the planet Starkiller were huge blows to the Empire, but their numbers seem never-ending. In need of a more permanent base, the rebels head to Bespin. When they arrive at the deserted Cloud City, they set up shop and take advantage of the planet's dense cloud cover to keep their location secret from the First Order. Oh, lovely. Thank lovely. you. A little throwback. Like a bit of Bespin. Yeah. yeah. I always felt like that was an underdeveloped or an underexplored planet. You know, we didn't get to see enough yeah. of it. Yeah. 
And the Cloud City as well, yeah, because I'm sure you could move it around, so I'm constantly moving around the planet. Exactly. Yeah, wow, very good. Thank you. Rose, meanwhile, able to spend some time in a back-to-tank, recovers from her injuries. Several months pass in relative peace, with the rebel ships slipping out of the Bespin system for targeted strikes against the First Order. Leia recruits a network of spies to try and locate the base of the First Order so as to try and wipe out the threat once and for all. But the information eludes them no matter what they try. One night, as Rey is going to Leia's quarters to visit, she hears a strange noise from inside. She rushes in to see Leia's body lying on the ground at the feet of a man in the shadows. He steps forward, and Rey recognizes him instantly, even though he hasn't been heard from in decades. It's the bounty hunter known as Boba Fett. Oh, nice. And that is where we will leave it for now. Very nice. I like it. I'm glad you got uh, Lando and Boba Fett in. I didn't get them into mine, but... uh... Yeah, well... Oh, very nice. Thank you, thank you. Let's hear what's in your immediate aftermath, then. Okay. Uh, During her search for Leia, Rey comes across a number of Force-sensitive individuals of all ages and races. The strange thing is, many of these people or aliens and what have you, have seeked Rey out and all have tales of being visited by a beautiful princess who told them that everything was going to be okay. Rey tells them that she will return to train them. While on the planet of Corellia, following up a lead, Rey discusses the princess visions with the force ghost of Luke Skywalker. He has been training her over the past few months. He thinks it must be Leia, but he cannot sense his sister on a material plane or within the force. Suddenly, Rey is attacked by the Knights of Ren, the ancient order who never remove their masks. A fierce battle ensues through a shipbuilding yard. Luke aids Rey by creating distractions. Uh, when the Corellian police arrive, the knights retreat, but Rey downed one of them. Removing the knight's helmet, Rey is shocked to see her own face looking back at her. So you're the one who got away, said the knight. Finn and the trooper squad searched the planet of Coraban, once known as the homeworld of the Sith. A terrible place, but rumours suggest the unknown attackers have a base there. His squad all wear armour based on... Phasma's blaster-proof armour, because that makes sense to have armour which is going to protect you from from blasters. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Finn has been away from his friends for a while, and he misses them, but he sticks to the mission. They located a base that had starships of strange designs and an alien race that none of them had seen before. As they discussed the next stage, one of Finn's soldiers said a lone figure in chrome armour was heading towards them. Kylo Ren had proven to be an effective leader, but he was still plagued with doubts. His link with Rey was severed and the force ghost of Luke often appeared to try and bring him back to the light. Kylo was never sure if it was a real force ghost or just his imagination. So Kylo had taken to using his grandfather's meditation chamber, the one we see in The Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. Uh, He uses that for peace as it cuts him off from the force when in use and it's the only time his battered mind and psyche can find peace. Meanwhile, Poe's daring attack was a success despite Kylo's ships utilising the new hyperspace attack shields now called... Holdo's Folly. <laughs> cool. And that's uh, that's my immediate aftermath. All right. A lot going on there. I like it. Yeah. Ju- it's jumping across different planets and things as it usually does in a Star well, Wars. Well, yeah. Film, I mean, that's so. how Star Wars, the universe works. You got to kind of spread things yes. out a little bit. So I hope it's all making sense. Yeah, yeah. There totally. I was with you. Okay. So what's happening with you then? What's going on with yours? Because uh, I want to know. It's good. Okay. Well. As he steps out of the shadows, Ray can see that Boba Fett's armor is scarred and deformed, likely from his time in the Sarlacc pit. Despite his legendary status as one of the deadliest killers in the galaxy, Ray doesn't hesitate and ignites her lightsaber. A ferocious battle ensues, with each one seemingly gaining the upper hand and then having the tables turned. Ray knows that if he escapes, he will alert the First Order to the location of the rebels, and she fights with all her might. Finn and Poe become aware of the commotion and arrive to help, but Boba Fett quickly dispatches them. When Boba Fett disarms her with a well-placed blaster bolt, Rey uses the force to hurl her lightsaber at a window right next to him, breaking through it. The change in pressure sucks him out the window, but Rey doubts the fall will kill him. 
She rushes back to Leia, who is gravely injured. He revealed the truth, she whispers to Rey with ragged breathing. The reason we couldn't find them. There is no base. Kylo Ren is all that's left of the First Order. Then she looks at Rey and says, You are not the last Jedi. You are the first of a new order. Go fulfill your destiny. Then her eyes flutter closed, and with Rey, Finn, Poe, and the newly arrived Rose surrounding her, she becomes one with the Force. Uh-huh. And that's my immediate aftermath. Very nice. Thank you. Thank I you. I like that. All right. Well, I want to hear how all this wraps up, so give us your long term. Okay. Rey and Luke question the captured Knight of Ran, and Rey cannot understand why she looks just like her. The Knight explains that they were clones of Mara Jade, the Emperor's Hand. Nice. All were powerful in the ways of the Force and implanted with combat and technical skills, making them excellent pilots, mechanics, and all that stuff. Because of this, Rey suddenly remembers that she was smuggled out by someone and passed to a couple of Junkers, and that's how she ended up on Jakku. It also uh. explained the vision she had of multiple versions of it herself, or clones as it were, in the dark side cave on the island that Luke was living on. The knight also explains that they caught Leia months ago, but the general suddenly disappeared into thin air. Mm. Returning to the Falcon, now heavily modified by Chewbacca, they return to the resistance. Finn and the remainder of his troops are in shock. The lone figure who had been approaching them was Phasma, now mainly machine, a kind of robo-Phasma, as you would say. Uh-huh. Uh, she had gone through his forces with ease. She killed all the other troopers and was about to attack Finn when the strange aliens attacked. Working together, Finn and Robophasma escaped and managed to get a data file from the aliens. Against the will of his advisors, Kylo Ren goes out in his fighter to attack Rogue Squadron. A fierce battle ensues with Kylo and Poe's forces easily matched. But the tide of battle has changed when the Falcon joins them piloted by Chewbacca. Kylo's ship is hit and he is forced to land on a small moon. As he leaves the ship, he's surprised to see Rey standing there. Before she has a chance to say anything, Kylo attacks and an amazing lightsaber battle takes place with loads of force powers, and it just takes your breath away. Just imagine the best lightsaber battle you've ever seen, and it's that. I'm picturing it in my head right now. Wow, that was a really good bit. It really was. Nicely done, Phil. Nicely done. I never thought of that one. (laughs) When both are exhausted, Rey explains how they need to talk. A glowing figure of Leia as a young woman appears along with Anakin Skywalker. Kylo is in tears. He kneels and begs for forgiveness from his mother and grandfather who both smile before vanishing. The Force ghost of Luke appears, and along with Rey, they explain that Kylo is what the prophecy was talking about all those years before, the balance of the Force. Mm. It has led to him, a perfect balance between light and darkness, but Snoke pushed him too far to the dark side. It turns out Snoke had been working with Palpatine for many years. He had been based beyond the, uh, beyond the Outer Rim, keeping the alien race known as the Yushan Vong in a kind of Dark Force stasis. With the death of Palpatine, Snoke could return to take over, and in his arrogance thought he could keep the Yushan Vong at bay. But even before Snoke's death, the Yushan Vong had managed to breach the stasis and had started exploratory strikes into this galaxy. But the full invasion was imminent. Luke and Rey warned Kylo that he had to find balance within himself. Ben Skywalker and Rey could be the galaxy's only hope. The battle between the Resistance and the First Order was over. The war with the Yushan Vong was just beginning. And that's my... Ending. I like it. it. Takes things in a whole new direction. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, start a and whole new trilogy, the, and you still get the big fight at the end. But then also they come together, right? And suddenly this battle with the Empire or whatever and the Rebels is no longer needed, right? That was my after the ending for. Well, that's my episode nine. Very cool. What's, what's going like on it. with the ending for your? Long term. Okay, well, Rey takes what she has learned to Lando and the other leaders of the rebellion Mon Mothma, Nian Nunb, Harrison Dula, Lumpy the Wookiee, hmm. Chief Chirpa, and Will Rowe Hood. I just get lumpy in there. Yeah, yeah, you know, a little, <laughs> little, little nod to the long, you know, the, the fans with the deep cuts there. 
So yeah, yeah. Well, and Google Will Row Hood if you really want to see a deep cut. Which one is that? Yeah, that you're gonna have to find out. Okay. A little challenge for you and the listeners. So about like three people were just like, "Yes, I can't believe you worked in Will Row Hood," and the rest of the people are all like, "What the heck is he talking about?" But <laughs> you know, I'll send some business Google's way. <laughs> anyway. They do an in-depth analysis and realize that Leia was right. There is no base for the First Order because the First Order has been decimated. Kylo Ren and Snoke had kept the illusion of the First Order up through smoke and mirrors and surgical strikes that caused fear to run rampant throughout the galaxy. But the remains of the First Order are limited to Kylo Ren's current fleet. If they can wipe out that fleet, the First Order will be annihilated for good. Mon Mothma sends Rey, Finn, Poe, and Rose off on a mission while the Rebellion readies an attack on Kylo Ren's fleet. However, a day or so after Rey and her friends leave, Kylo and the First Order attack Bespin. Boba Fett had survived his fall after all and informed the First Order as to the Rebels' location. With both the Rebel fleet and Kylo's fleet attacking each other at Bespin, it's a battle to the finish. Whoever is left standing will rule the galaxy. Slowly, the tide begins to turn to the First Order, and things begin to look grim for the Rebel Alliance. Suddenly, a ship drops out of hyperspace. It's Rey, Poe, and the rest— Mon Mothma manages to get a transmission through to the ship. Were you successful, she asks? Yes, Ray replies. The El Camino facility was more than happy to fill such a large order. A moment later, a thousand ships drop out of hyperspace. A clone army, all bearing the face of young Obi-Wan Kenobi, has arrived. Oh, wow. The battle that destroyed the First Order would go on to become a thing of legend. Oh, that's awesome. And that is the end. I like that. Thanks. I figured, you know, when he was on El Camino, they could easily have gotten some of his DNA. You know? Yeah, they probably did. And then they could have cloned him, and then we'd have like an army of Obi-Wan Kenobi clones. How cool would that be? Wow, and then they'd all be able to use the Force? Theoretically, yes. Yeah, wow. That's good. I like the fact as well, neither of us went with a great big new Death Star kind of thing as well. <laughs> well, I think we've all learned that, that lesson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but J.J. Uh, Abrams and K- Kathleen Kennedy... You're obviously listening to this, but if you want to, if you do want to use any of the ideas we put forward there, because they are really good, right? Uh, get in touch, and we'll discuss, you know, terms and money. And things yeah, I mean, like really, that. as long as the compensation is there, neither of us would mind, you know, and, and a screen yeah. credit, you know, I think that screen be fine. credit, yeah, as well, yeah. yeah but uh, but uh, but if we do go and see episode nine, and there's like, you know, major bits in there, we're gonna have words, JJ. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but no, I liked. I really liked your ending. That was Likewise. Cool. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up our endings then for the Last Jedi. That was a lot of fun to do a movie that that big and that recent that people are still talking about. So uh, share with us your thoughts. Let us know what you thought of our endings. What you think might be happening in the next film. Uh, we would love to hear it. Yeah. Anything you've got you got to say about our endings or the Last Jedi itself? Just get in touch. Leave a message. Uh, send a pigeon. Whatever. Yeah. You might even hear or it do, on the. Or air. do that for. We'll do that for Skype thing that Kylo and, and Ray were doing <laughs> right. and the thing. Right, you know. just appear to us as a vision and share your yeah, thoughts. Yeah, but, but give us a bit of warning because I don't want to get out the shower and then suddenly there's a listener there and I'm going, oh, dear. Because right. like, I can't pull my pants up as high as Kylo. Right, this, this is awkward. Yeah. Well, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe next time, you know, wait until I'm dressed. All right. Well, let's move on then from one beloved science fiction franchise to another beloved science fiction franchise. And let's talk to the stars of The X-Files. Yeah, this was when we were at New York Comic Con last year where there was it was my first one. It was uh, amazing. I got to meet lots of people, but I didn't get to meet the cast of The X-Files, but Mike did. Well, you were busy off interviewing other people while I was doing You were talking to William Shatner and Burt Ward yeah, while yeah, I was... Yeah, I can't really complain about that, <laughs> yeah, can I? I was going to say, don't, yeah. don't make it out like I left you in the cold there. Yeah, I, mean... I was all by myself yeah. talking to William Shatner. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. Uh, but, no, yes. Oh, and also Burt Ward as Jeff for the, uh, the Batman versus Two-Face animated film. So that was very good, but we talked about that in a previous episode and had some of the interview as well. Yeah. 
But uh, Mike went to talk to Cast of the X-Files in the other press room. And over to you, Mike, to talk about it. Yeah, well, let's uh, we'll start. So I talked with David Duchovny, uh, Julian Anderson, and Mitch Pileggi, who plays uh, Skinner on the show. Um, and uh, so here's how, how's how it's going to work. I, I got to ask you a few questions. It was a roundtable, so there's some other questions, and I'll, I'll sort of intro you to all those. I will say that with Mitch Pileggi, we got a little extra time with him, and I love him. I'm a big fan of his, so I asked him about 20 extra questions. So after we get through uh, David and, and Julian, you're going to hear kind of a, a career-spanning interview with Mitch talking about everything from X Files to uh, Stargate Universe to the Shocker, uh, oh, and Shocker, brilliant. yeah, I asked him about Shocker, Three O'clock High, even some of his old kind of uh, cult classic movies he appeared in. So we kind of have a little career retrospective, uh, you know, interview with with Mitch Pileggi. If you don't know him, look him up. I mean, if you're not an X Files fan, because I guarantee you, you've seen this guy in a million things. He's he's a fantastic character actor, and yeah, because he's uh, he's not like he's not like Skinner. He's very what he's. He's very laid back and cool. What he is he is something. extremely extremely personable and very funny and very high energy, uh, and he was a lot of fun to talk to. So we're going to start off with with David and, and Jillian and, and Mitch a little bit, and then we'll finish up with some extra Mitch. So um, so first off, here I asked them what was the biggest surprise in coming back to the X Files after this you know couple of decades break between the original series and the new one. So, David, what's been the biggest surprise about returning to the world of the X-Files after a break like that? I don't know if I'm surprised. I, I think what's interesting to me is uh, to think about how, how the world has kind of caught up to Mulder's conception of the world. You know, this was a guy who was telling us our government was lying to us in 93, and just a few people believed him. <laughs> so it's an interesting proposition to take this guy into a world that is maybe more receptive to his uh, his way of thinking. Because I think a lot of what makes the show interesting is that Mulder is such an underdog. I'm not sure at this point. I guess the biggest surprise is is, is how much fun it can be. Um, uh, we've, 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 we've had a lot of fun and, and I don't want to say this because there's no wood around to tap on, but it hasn't. We're halfway through miraculously, and um, and and it feels like the hours have been kinder to us this year. We haven't been pulling many 17-hour days, which we used to do all the time. Right. Um, and so, as an old person, that's quite nice. Um, anyway, so it feels it feels uh, it feels like we are um, delivering everything that is expected of us to deliver, but it feels uh, more manageable somehow. It just always feels like I'm coming back home. It doesn't really, it doesn't, I don't, you know, the scripts, the scripts are always, are always a surprise. They're always great. They're always like, we used to, we used to describe them as, as, as getting Christmas presents. You know, it's like you open them up, it's like opening up a Christmas present, seeing what they had in store for your character, your storylines. Um, but it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's always fun to come back and play these characters and work with work with these you know these other actors and and work with Chris and, and, and the other people that we work with on the show. So it's it's um it's pretty awesome. It's a gift that keeps giving, man. Twenty five years later, here we are. I, I got no complaints. It's 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 wonderful. Here we talk about the enduring popularity of the show, and uh, and actually it's funny because we started off by asking David if he envisioned that he'd still be playing this role twenty five. Years later, uh, and I think you'll get a kick out of his answer. 
but the way you put it sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> so probably, yeah, I probably did. Uh, but no, no, I never, I never thought. Uh, I, I remember agreeing to do the pilot and thinking, you know, I don't really want to do television. You know, um, so you know, life, career happens. <laughs> while you're busy making other plans, whatever the John Lennon quote is. You know, so, uh, but having said that, I have no, no regrets and, and nothing but, at this point, gratitude for being able to, you know, not only, not, only does the work, not only is the work itself on this show gratifying, but it's enabled me, you know, to have a career <laughs> that I, I don't think I would have had. I mean, who knows what kind of career you're going to have. You, can, you don't have, unless you do the show, you really can't see what's happening in an alternate universe. So... Uh, but no, no, and I thought, you know, I remember, I remember talking with my manager at the time and, and saying, you know, this is a show about aliens. Like, I like the pilot, so let's do the pilot, and then I won't have to do any TV because nobody's going to want to watch this. <laughs> it'll be a good pilot, but it'll not never catch on. Well, certainly, you know, uh, us uh, as a show being so much at the uh, at the beginning of. Um, of this type of TV, whether there was so much money put into the cinematography and there was um, an attention to, you know, it felt very filmic from the very beginning to uh, introducing something um, that uh, was was uh, so addictive that people had to come back every single week and and and, and watch it on on mass with families or individual, you know, so so. You know, we were very much at the beginning of that addiction, which, of course, with streaming, etc., has become, you know, has become a way of life. Um, and so, and also at the beginning of, of, of proper, regular sci-fi on television, and, you know, every other film is sci-fi, every other television show is sci-fi. You know, there's a lot of... Um, uh, uh, but one of the things that we have always done, which doesn't seem to be picked up on by other shows, is the fact that we have, um, you know, all of our episodes are quite different. You know, there, there are three different types of episodes that we do. We do the mythology episodes, and we do the comedic episodes, and we do the monster of the week episodes. And, and somehow um, we were able to... Uh, you know, sell that in the way that the audience accepted as being a part of our world and our reality. And I think that's an element of it that fans have come to appreciate within uh, the genre. And um, and uh, so it feels, on the one hand, quite unique to what it is that we do and different from the genre as it has continued on television going forward. Here they talk about making the show and sort of returning to it and what it's like filming and creating it in today's atmosphere. Well, I always get a kick out of Darren Morgan's episodes. Uh, he's always able to kind of... Well, he's really got... He's really got a hatred for my character, which I find... <laughs> which I find interesting to play. Because he... I mean, Mulder is, is often... Uh, foolish, but in Darren's episodes, he's a real imbecile, <laughs> and I find it really interesting to try to play this somewhat heroic character as an imbecile. And uh, I, I thank Darren for the opportunity to deflate uh, the show every now and then. And he's just such a smart writer, such a good writer. 
Um, but you know, his his episodes exist in an, in, an, in another universe, and then you know that's not again that's not our maybe our, some of our best shows, but our show does best other stuff, the sci-fi, the action, the suspense. I think that that you know even you know in the in the olden days yes. you know it, when when more you know Scully, Scully's question would be you know the, the, I, I didn't see it and even if I did see it it doesn't exist it, it can't possibly exist you can still have that you can still question the existence and the impossibility of something even though it's right in front of you so let's say that an alien is standing in front of me you can still have the conversation of but how is that even possible how is that what it, you know they can still he can still talk about its possibilities and I can still talk about its impossibilities and yet we can be looking at the same thing. So I think the dynamic is that that, that hasn't changed, and the, her degree of skepticism, or or you know, or maybe her degree of skepticism has shifted. But she still, as a scientist and a doctor, still has to ask those questions of the universe and Mulder. Next up, we talked about the characters themselves and sort of their their place in the world today, which has changed so much from the the 90s and what it's like for them to approach their characters in this day and age. You know, it's like I can't all of a sudden say, hey, guys, I want I want purple hair. You know? <laughs> I mean, it, he is who he is. The show is what it is. And my job as the guy who plays this guy is to just kind of make sure it's as believable as sometimes funny as sometimes scary and as real as it can be and not kind of cater to my own whims as an actor who wants to be seen one way or another so I show up with a hey he's got a French accent after so much time you know is is the fact that I um, I, I don't Look a lot like the 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 young Scully. You know, my my face is much more angular. Obviously, I've aged a, a few decades. Um, but so, if, if that's the case, and I am emulating somebody that exists in celluloid so much younger, what are the elements of her that are still evident, um, and which? elements are appropriate and which elements are actually inappropriate because they're a matter of, um, of uh, you know, of, of one's age and how one's age and uh, ages and, and matures. And so that's been an ongoing, um, uh, not necessarily conundrum, but, but certainly um, in trying to do right by her. Well, he was, I think he, he's their support. He's their champion within the FBI. Um, and um, I think that they were looking for somebody to fill that role, and unfortunately, I just happened to fall into it. Um, so I, I I feel blessed. I mean, the internet was pretty primitive back then. Some of those chat rooms, and it was like, it was like this is. You think back about those things now. Um, it's it's weird. I think it's definitely had. I think it's had an effect. I think it's definitely going to have an effect on our stories. I think the, I think the, I think that Chris wants to, you know, he, he likes keeping the fans you know he likes listening to them and um, and seeing what they have to say and then and then you know if it if it works with the show you know um, 
but he definitely he definitely does he does he does pay attention to what the fans are saying. And finally, here we talk about the enduring legacy of the X Files. You know, it's it, excuse me. It's interesting to think about it in terms of uh, the internet. You know, because back in '93, even until 2000, probably when we stopped the run of the show or 2002, whatever. You know, this Mulder was getting his information from you know blogs, uh, little newspapers, little news. Now, you know, now that kind of information false and true is, is open to most everyone. So it is an interesting question. You know, I, I think I think there are interesting questions to be asked about how you play a character years later or how the world has changed to either catch up to the character or make that character obsolete or whatever. But I think ultimately what makes a show or any drama or any piece of entertainment or art enduring is, is actually something that never changes, which is our humanity, or our capacity to wonder, or our capacity to imagine. So I think that that's what the show was always about. And I think, you know, this president, that president, the internet or not, phones or not, those are, su- those are as deep as they impact us all, those are actually superficial things on what the show is actually about. And to me, what makes it enduring, and what makes any work of art enduring is, is it human? I hope so. Well, I mean, it kind of started with the X Files. You know, it started. It started on television, but before the X Files, it was Baywatch, pretty much. And so, you know, seeing a professional, intelligent, uh, equal um, female on TV very much started with her. So, the fact that. Um, that that was the beginning of the conversation that has spread and, and been emulated um, uh, ad nauseum over uh, over time is uh, is is incredible. Back to what they were doing when we were originally doing the show that made made everybody love the show so much, you know, and 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 built such a tremendous fandom that we have that have stuck with us for so long, and the fact that we have new generations of fans, you know, I, I get I go to these conventions and I see you know kids ten years old come up that are just have just watched every episode, you know, and it, and it's like it's so gratifying to see that type of response. The parents, the grandparents that pass it down to the parents, it's actually almost three generations, you know, and then there's those parents that pass it down to their kids. So it's it's pretty um, it's pretty cool. I have you know I have a really good relationship with, with with these with these people. They come, I do a lot of conventions, so I meet a lot of these people, and I become friends with a lot of them. You know, so now it's it's like. Uh, it's a little worrisome in, in that now they know me, you know, and so when they watch me and they watch Skinner, they're going, "No, that's that's you know, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't ring true," you know, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, that's a little and, and and being active on social media, I worry about that too because I'm just afraid that people are going to become too familiar with who I am, so that when they watch a role that I'm playing, it just doesn't it won't it doesn't sit right. I've talked to other actors about that, and they're going, yeah, that's true, too, but then they're going, you know, you can do a lot of really cool things on social media as far as advancing charities and, and, and trying to help people out. And just to follow all that up, here is my remaining questions with Mitch Pileggi talking about his whole career as an actor. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Here is that. 
Do you personally have a preference between the mythology-based episodes or the more Monster of the Week episodes? Well, um, I like them all. I like them all, yeah. I mean, the mythology are the ones that, that Skinner is usually part of, but um, I have to be honest, the episodes that are my favorites are episodes that I'm not in. Um, and I don't know if that's a common thing with actors or not, but it's like, I, I, I yeah, it's, it's maybe if I, I get distracted by, by me being there and watching my performance or, or whatever, but um, I, I just like watching the show and not having to worry about that that aspect of it. But I am I am a fan of the show. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a great show, and I think it, 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 it's, it's the fact that we're doing it, still doing it almost 25 years later is, is, um, is, is pretty pretty awesome. Awesome. And I feel I feel blessed and it's it's like the gift that keeps giving, you know, it really is. Skinner is, is such a serious character and uh, I've recently watched you in a couple of, of great roles like Shocker and Three O'Clock High, which was a lot of fun to see you in, where you get to be a little more fun. Is it challenging to kind of slip into that, you know? I found myself the other day because yeah, I mean, I've done other things where I where I can. I mean, I, I played a character on Dallas that I that was like a, a rogue, and he was like he just he, he, he took he took joy in, in in being a dick, you know, and and, um, and but he and so I, I but and I found myself wanting to maybe bring a little bit of that to Skinner just to open up, make him more dimensional or something like that, and, and I and I just it just didn't I couldn't do it. Right. I, it just, I, it just, it just didn't, it did, it didn't, it didn't feel right to me. So I canned it. I didn't do it. And it was like, but, um, but he is, yeah. And, and then, like I said, you find out why he is the way he is uh, this season. You find out a lot about him. Outside of Skinner, because you've played so many different kinds of roles in your career, is there, is there what, what attracts you to a role nowadays, or is there a certain kind of role you're still looking to play? Um, I just want it, you know, as long as, I mean, I know that actors say this a lot, but as long as the writing's good, as long as the story's good, blah, blah, blah. I, I mean, it, but it's, it's, it's actually true. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of cutting back on, on doing guest starring roles, um, on TV because I've done them. I've done them all. And, and I, I'm like, it's just, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do them anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, if there's a great, if there's a great recurring role or, or, or a series regular, I, would, I know absolutely I will do series again. But I just don't want to do a bunch. And for a long time there, I was doing guest star after guest star after guest star. You know, and some of them were not good. Right. You know, um, I was fortunate enough to work on Criminal Minds and do an do an episode and play a character that I was very proud of. Um, so if, if something like that were to were to were to materialize, then you know, I would I would love to do that, but I didn't even know what that was going to be when I when I got it because somebody had dropped out. Um, they had, the director called me up and asked me if I would if I would take the role over, and, and it turned out to be one of the one of the things that I'm the most proud of as far as acting. You know, when when you left X Files, then you did do another series, another sci-fi genre series with Stargate, um, which was a lot of fun. Which um, was basically Skinner in a flight suit, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you got to at least get right? out, out right? of the office yeah. and onto a spaceship, I guess most of the time. I did have a spaceship. When I got <laughs> to my Captain Kirk cool. on. It was pretty cool. Um, what was that experience like? Because that's also a very dedicated fan base. It was fun, you know. I, I like I said, I, I had a spaceship, you know, and and um, and it's it's fun sitting on the bridge, man, doing all that, you know, with the pyro and right. you know barking commands. And when you're in, in, in battles in space, you know it's 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 a it's a trip, um, and it was a great cast to work with. You know, they, it was it was a lot of lot of good uh, lot of good actors to work with, and I I, I really had a good. And plus, it was in Vancouver, and, and it was it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah.
Hi. Oh, that was Doug fantastic, Jones. Mike. Uh, I really liked I the interview, the bits with Mitch, but uh, also good to hear the other two as well. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. They were all really great, really nice people. And uh, you know, the X Files is airing now, at least here in the U.S. Yeah, I think it's I think it's showing somewhere in the U.K. Yeah, yeah, but, still still popular uh, after all these years. To. Yes, who would have thought it? <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. So that is our interview with the cast of The X-Files, which was very exciting. Excellent. Uh, really good interviews there. Thank you. Thank you. So that is The X-Files. And let's move on then to our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes, wherein we take our favorite films from a particular year. But this week we're doing something a little different. We are prognosticating. We're going to predict, yes. not predicting our favorite films, but the films that we're looking forward to the most in this coming year, 2018. Yes. Lots of big films coming out. Lots of small films. But uh yeah, I hope, I hope I enjoy all the ones on my list, but uh, I, I think I could be disappointed by a few of them, but we'll wait and see. Yeah, I definitely have, I'd say about half ones I know I'm going to like and half ones that I'm I'm hopeful for. There's definitely a couple yeah. that could go wrong, and if they do, I'll, I will be very disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then, well, do you want to kick things off? I do. I'm going to kick things off with a slightly uh, unorthodox pick, and I'm going to say that my number 10 is Sherlock Gnomes, which is the sequel to oh, Nomeo yeah, and yeah. Juliet. Um, I enjoyed that first one. Yeah. You know what? We did, too. It is a favorite in our family, I have to say. My my wife actually saw it first. A friend of hers took her to see it, and my wife absolutely loved it, thought it was just so funny and charming and cute. And so she, she I don't want to say she dragged me to it because I was – I'll see any film, and it looked like fun. But, you know, I didn't expect too much. It wasn't one of the major – you know, animated releases. Yeah, yeah. But I loved it. It's really funny. I think a lot of the humor is really clever. Obviously, I have a huge man crush on James McAvoy, who plays Nomeo. Um, and, I, you know, I've seen the movie a dozen times now with my kids. Everyone in our family just loves that movie. And it's it's one of those ones that just, you know, I have a real soft spot for. I, I really enjoy it. So Sherlock Gnomes for the sequel, they're bringing Johnny Depp in as Sherlock Gnomes, a great, you know, obviously it's going to have a, a mystery bent to it. I don't know how well that's going to work. I know they have to do something different with the story because of the way yeah, yeah. it unfolded in the first film. But if it's if it's half as clever and charming as the original was, it should still be a lot of fun. So that's my number ten. Hey, okay, yeah, but well, I'm looking for. I like the fact as well they haven't just done another Shakespeare story. Like they've gone from the looks of it, you know, they've gone to a different, you know, literary bent with the uh, the whole uh, Sherlock Holmes thing. So it's going to be interesting to see. What- how it works. Right, right. If it's but successful, too, maybe they'll do a different sort of literary yeah, icon yeah. with every film. That would be fun. Yeah, and I'll go pick. Uh, my number 10, well, it's a double whammy because they both feature big monster kind of things. Uh, it's, so the first one is is Meg, or The Meg, which is now seems to be called, which is basically Jason Statham going up against the 70-foot shark. Yep. So that's got to be, you know, that's, that's due out uh, the 2nd of March, I think, over here. But I think you might have to wait until August for it. Uh, I think we have it as April 3rd is what I what I have. Oh, is it brief? Okay, notes. well, that's okay. We still get it first, though. Yes, uh, yes, you do. It's because Jason Stafe's a geezer. That's right. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I quite like this. It's meant to be one of the great big, you know, prehistoric sharks. It's based on a series of books, which I've not read, but... I just want to see Jason Statham going up against the 70-foot shark. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. Even if it's dreadful, it's going to be worth a watch. I agree. Yeah, it's tight. And the other one is Pacific Rim Uprising. Ah, yes. Because I really loved the first film uh, by uh, Guillermo del Toro. Uh, and I'm, I'm made up to finally get another one. I would like Guillermo to do it. But this one's directed by Stephen S. Knight And it's got John Boyega. So it connects with the whole Star Wars thing, uh, and I just I just like the fact it's giant robots fighting giant monsters, and I, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with this one, uh, and I can't wait to see. It. That's out, I think, the 23rd of March for all of us. 
Very good. I, I that was on my short list. It didn't make my final list only because that's one of those films that I feel could go really wrong since yeah, Del Toro yeah, isn't directing it. Yeah, that's why I mixed. I put it you know, as a double whammy. Right, so right. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I definitely am, but I just I left it off my list more for cautionary reasons than anything else. Yeah. But I'm I'm looking I th- forward to it, especially with John Boyega. I think at the very least it's gonna be, it's gonna look really good on the big screen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, very good. Uh, well, my number nine is a movie called A Quiet Place, starring John Krasinski and Emily Blunt and if you haven't seen the trailer for it yet do yourself a favor Go watch the trailer on YouTube. It is super intense. It's, it looks amazing. Yeah, doesn't it? it really does. And directed by John Krasinski, which I think could be really interesting. Um, yeah. So basically, it's about this. You know, the trailer only tells us that it's about this family who's basically living in complete silence because something outside will hear them if they make any noise. And they're living in yeah. kind of this cabin in the middle of the woods. And then, of course, something happens. They make noise, and then it looks like they come under attack. We don't know what it is that's attacking them, so it could go really right or really wrong, depending. But it. But it that first trailer was there. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh man, I saw that trailer in theaters and I was on the edge of my seat. And I love movies like that. That is right up my alley. So um, I uh, that's my number nine, A Quiet Place. It looks really I hope cool. they just keep them. I'd love them to keep the marketing just, just like that, but they won't. But I right. wish more films would just do. Well, you never you know, know because tease, in, the wake of a, in the wake of a movie like The Conjuring, which really did do that with their trailer, in yeah, fact, true, the trailer is true. better than the film, maybe they'll get the hint <laughs> and, and yeah. you know, keep things on the down low yeah that's i'm, I'm glad you picked that one because i've f- totally forgotten about it but yeah thank you good. okay my number nine is uh incredibles 2 aha uh-huh. because I, I really enjoyed the first one i'm not sure whether this but it's brad bird's written and, and uh writing it and directing it so i'm glad about that everybody's returning the voice cast is back and it's apparently starting straight after the end of the first one i did like the first one i'm looking forward to this but i'm not sure whether it's just too long since the first one right for this to work right the sequel but i'm gonna go see it and i'm hoping it's gonna be as much fun as the first one which i really liked it's out you get it in america on the 15th of june and it's out for us in the uk on the 13th of july oh but also for if you want to go back and see what we thought happened after the first film we went after the ending of the incredibles back in episode 39 that's right that's right very good choice all right it didn't make my list but i uh i I will certainly go see it and i did forget to mention that a quiet place is out on april 6th sorry about that Okay, then what's your next one, Mike? All right, my number eight is a film called Billionaire Boys Club. Uh, it stars Ansel Elgort and Taron Egerton, uh, both of whom I like very, very much. Also has Billy Lord, Kevin Spacey, Carrie Elwes, Emma Roberts, and Judd Nelson, which is the most exciting part, believe it or not. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And the thing about this movie is there was a TV miniseries in the late 80s, I believe, 89, I think, something like that, maybe 90, uh, called The Billionaire's Boys Club, based on a true story about this uh you know, super rich kid who may or may not have committed a murder and then, of course, used his money to help cover it up. And I was obsessed with this miniseries. I watched it and I thought it was the greatest thing that ever aired on television. And it's one of those things, like sometimes you hear me talk about in my top 10 list, it's one of those movies that has never really left my consciousness. Actually, it's funny because that always happens with Judd Nelson films because one of the other ones I mentioned recently was From the Hip, the lawyer movie that he was oh, in. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is another one. I, I, I've i always sort of kept an eye out for that to, to be on DVD, get a chance to watch it again. I absolutely loved it back in the day. And they are now doing a feature film, um, which is 
which is very exciting. The only thing that concerns me a little bit is the director, James Cox. I don't have much history with his films. I think maybe I've seen one of them and I didn't really love it. Um, but most of his other stuff seems to be genre stuff. And this is much more of a sort of true crime slash thriller. Um, but Judd Nelson was the main character in the original miniseries. And now he's coming back and playing a supporting role in the film, which I love, love when they do that. So I'm really looking forward to this one, probably more than just about anybody, but I really hope that they do it justice. Okay. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a good one. And good to see Judd Nelson back again. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. Did you say when that one was out? Uh, that one actually has no release date scheduled as of yet. It is tentatively scheduled for 2018. Uh, it's done filming, but there's no release date listed just yet. Well, my number eight is the same in that it's meant to be due out this year, but there's no official date. But it's uh, called Hold the Dark, which is a new thriller from Jeremy Sonia. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love Jeremy Sonia and uh, written by Mason Blair. And if you're Jeremy Sonia, did the excellent uh, Blue Ruin and the brilliant Green Room. Yep. I was hoping his next film would also have a colour, but he's let me down yeah. with that one. <laughs> yep. But this one, it's uh, Mason Blair who also starred in Blue Ruin. And this one is based on a book by William Giraldi. And uh, this is what it says. It's after the deaths of three children suspected to be by wolves, writer Russell Corr is hired by the parents of a missing six-year-old boy to track down and locate their son in the Alaskan wilderness. So that's... Uh, I loved Blue Ruin and Green Room. Yes. Uh, so I cannot wait to see what he does with this one. It uh, looks like it's going to be quite a sparse kind of adventure in the Alaskan wilderness. It stars Riley Keough, Alexander Skarsgård, James Badge Dale, Jeffrey Wright, uh, and oh, Mason Blair's also got a part in it. But uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does with this one. Very cool. That's a great cast of people that aren't necessarily household names, but are all really good actors. All solid actors, yeah. 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 And he's uh, so far, he's a solid director. So Yeah, oh, I liked his first two Should films very much. So yeah. yeah, I didn't know about that one, actually, so it didn't make my list, but I'm definitely looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, well, my number seven is Halloween, seeing the return of Jamie Lee Curtis to take on Michael Myers. Uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of the Halloween film franchise. The original is my favorite horror film of all time. Uh, The only reason it's not higher, David Gordon Green, the director. Boy, he's he's (laughs) all over the map in terms of stuff he directs. I do not like his comedies at all all uh we talked just recently about pineapple express a movie that i abhor yeah which i quite enjoyed uh, right, yeah right. i know i know what you mean um, when i was when it was announced that he was directing it i was going oh okay but i but yeah i do like some could, of his other films like the movie joe with nicholas cage of all people and and ty sheridan oh, that, is fantastic Joe's an amazing film yeah. yeah of course he did that one yeah, yeah yeah so he's 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 up and down for me but uh, and he's never done a horror film so i i'm you know, I figure it this way. It can't be worse than the Rob Zombie movies were. Yes, that's good. So that's yeah. a plus. Let's when, get out of that. When you look at it that way, yeah. yeah let's yeah. get out of that quicksand pit. And Jamie Lee Curtis coming back, that tells me that there's something here that they're going to do to make it kind of get back to the Michael Myers that we all know and love, not that horrible, horrible Rob Zombie crap. So I am definitely looking forward to this. Anything that relaunches the franchise and hopefully treats it well, if we can get something on par with H2O, which is a movie that I absolutely love, then I'll be very, very happy. And hopefully it'll help lead to more Halloween movies in the future because I can never get enough of Michael Myers. Yep, and it's uh, not on my list, partly because I'd just forgotten it was out this year. But I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yes. I like the fact it's basically, it's just going to be set. It's just going to follow on from the first film, isn't it, I think? I think something like that, yeah. First or the second one, but it's also not only is Jamie Lee Curtis returning, but it's also got it's also got the the actor who played the original shape, Michael Myers. Uh, what is it? Nick Castle. Right, right. Nick, Nick Castle. Castle yeah, he's also returning to play Michael Myers once more, which I quite like. Yes, yes, that's exciting, and that is out on October nineteenth, which is perfect timing for it. I expect it'll be a big hit. Yeah, I'm uh, 
Yeah, fingers crossed on that one. Yes. I'm cautiously optimistic. Me too. So we'll see, Me too. We'll see what happens. Okay, my number seven is uh, one called Annihilation, which is a new one uh, written for screen and directed by Alex Garland and based on the books by Jeff Vandermeer. I've read the first one. It's very good, sci-fi, kind of weird sci-fi uh, horror suspense kind of thing, and you're never quite sure what's going on. But this one stars Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Leigh, uh, Oscar Isaac, Gina Rodriguez, and Tessa Thompson. And it's basically... There's like a weird zone where things have changed and people go into the zone and you have to go in a certain way and come out another way, but other people go in, disappear and turn up back in the hometown, but they're different. And inside there, animals are slightly strange and they find like this this cave and they go down and there's something down there and it's all psychological and weird. And it's I don't know how on earth you're going to translate it to the big screen, but uh, I liked Ex Machina that Alex Garland did, so... Let's see what happens with this one. Yeah, it sounds interesting. I can't. That's another one that didn't make my list because I didn't. I'm not familiar with it, so that'll be. Uh... Yeah, there's a couple, couple of trailers out for it. It looks. It does look. Uh, it doesn't really tell you what's going on, but it, it does get wet the appetite. Okay, I'm looking forward. Yeah, to I think, seeing I think it might about. be. It's uh, It's due out in the US on the 23rd of February, but and I think it's also going to be hitting Netflix as well around about the same time. Okay, excellent. All right. Well, my number six is a tie between two. Marvel superhero movies. Well, two Marvel movies, let's say, actually. One of them is Deadpool 2. The other one is Ant-Man and the Wasp. And they're out uh, June 1st and July 6th, respectively. Um, Obviously, I I mean, Deadpool, of course, is great. We've talked about it. Love Deadpool. Yeah, yeah. And Ant-Man and the Wasp. I really love the first Ant-Man. I'm excited to see. I did. I very, very liked that. Very impressed. Yeah, and these are both two of the more humorous sides of the Marvel Marvel universe. So I'm definitely looking forward to them. They could have been higher on my list easily, but it seemed a little obvious. So I put them at number six. That seemed just about right. I'm definitely excited about them. I think they'll be great. They'll be a lot of fun. But it's sort of like, well, I'm anticipating them to be good. There's not that much suspense about them. So they're right in the middle of my list. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to them. They didn't make my list, but they're definitely – there's so many films, but there's – because I'm just sort of thinking, well, yeah, I'm going to enjoy them, but <laughs> right. you know, I'm not, go- I'm not going. Whoa, I cannot wait, cannot wait. Right, right, Some exactly. Or things like that. But you know, another day doing this list that might have been on my list, but yeah. But uh, my number six is uh, Mute, the next film from Duncan Jones, ah, okay. who did the twenty no, two thousand nine film Moon, also Warcraft and Source Code. Uh, this one is apparently the spiritual sequel to Moon. Cool. We we went after the ending back in episode fifty five, so you can have a listen to that one if you want. Yep, gonna get the plugs in. But this one, it's set in Berlin, and as uh, apparently set forty years from today, and it follows a mute bartender. I think he's played by Alexander Skarsgård, who's looking for his missing girlfriend in the rolling city of immigrants, where two American surgeons are the only recurring clues. Huh, interesting. So I think this, I think the surgeons are played by Paul Rudd and Justin Theroux, and that's all we really know about it. There's been some some photos and concept art which makes it look a bit Blade Runner-y, things like that. But uh, I'm just really interested to see what goes on. Oh, and also it's rumoured that, well, it's showing on the cast list that Sam Rockwell is going to be there playing Sam Bell, who is his character from Moon. Uh-huh. But I think it's only going to be, I don't know how big a role it's going to be. It could just be like right. we see him on a news report yeah, or walking yeah, yeah. past. That's cool, though. Who knows? That's fun. But like uh, that. I'm looking forward to that. But that's meant to be hitting Netflix at some point this year. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, cool. So that, that should be a good one. Very cool. All right, well, my number five is... I think one people might have expected to see higher on my list, but it's only at number five because there's a very high 
please don't screw this up factor to it. <laughs> and it is Ready Player One out March 30th. Um, directed yeah. by Steven Spielberg, a somewhat safe choice. I, I don't mean that as disrespect to Mr. Spielberg. He's one of my favorite directors, but he you know, it does sort of make safer films. Yeah. I might have wanted to see a slightly edgier director on it, but and it does star Ty Sheridan. But it is based on the book Ready Player One, which I'm assuming most people have heard of by now. It is one of my all-time favorite books at this point. I, I love it so, so much, and I had so much fun with it. It's an excellent book. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I, I recognize that the film will not be able to get every minute detail that was in the book. It would be impossible. I just want them to get the spirit of the book right. That's my main concern. So if they can do that, yeah, yeah. I'll be happy. And and the reason I think also partially it's only at number five and not higher is because they've only really released that sort of the one trailer. A couple minor variations on it, but it's it's pretty yeah, short. It yeah. doesn't show a lot. And it's it's all flash right now. It's all the special effects stuff. It doesn't really give you a sense of how the movie's going to feel. So um, I'm really looking forward to it, but I'm also very apprehensive because I love the book so much. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit the same. It didn't make my list because, as I say, the trailers, it looks good. Uh, I, I love the book. But the trailer, I'm just, I worry it's just going to become a big CGI yes, mess. Exactly. And I don't know how some of the things that go happen in the book, how it's going to, well, Steven Spielberg's going to do a good job with it. But as you say, I think somebody, maybe somebody else directing it, I'd be a bit more excited for it. I don't know. Yeah. But I will say that I believe Ernest Klein wrote the screenplay. That does give me some yeah. hope that, yeah. you know, it'll stay true to the book. Because uh, he wrote the book, so obviously yeah, it should. Yeah, it should yeah, so. yeah. Fingers crossed. Well, yeah, I'm going to wait and see, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to go see it. Yep, yep. Okay, my number five is The Predator. Very good. Uh, written and directed by Shane Black, who starred in the original Predator movie. Uh, he was the guy with the glasses. I forget the character's name. But uh, it's also... Pre- yeah, I know it. because I lost a trivia question to you on that one because I couldn't remember it back in one of our yeah, mini episodes it, right? when we were still doing our trivia yeah. thing. Yeah, well, but there's a callback for you. Yeah, just a bit. Uh, we also went after the ending of the first Predator back in episode 50. Yep. And we also did Aliens. Yep. Uh, but he, Shane Black wrote this one with Fred Decker, who did Night of the Creeps. Night of the Creeps, love it. Yep. Yeah, and Night also the, the Monster Squad. Monster Squad, of course, yeah. Uh, and it's the fourth film in the Predator film series. And this one, uh, it's got stars Boyd Holbrook, Olivia Munn, Sterling K. Brown, Keegan Michael Key, Yvonne Strahovski, Thomas Jane, Jacob Tremblay, but it's. Uh, I've there's been no footage of it yet, but I just I do love Predator, and the fact Shane Black's involved I means oh, Edward James Olmos is in it, and Jake Busey as well playing the son of Gary Busey's character from Predator Two, which is nice. Yep. Yeah, fingers crossed it's going to be good. I want to see some footage from it to be to be definite, but I imagine it's going to be quite a bit of humour because Shane Black, but yeah. that worked well with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and the nice guys, and it can do action as well. So it's got on paper it should be a really good film. Indeed. Indeed, good choice. Yeah, so let's let's uh, please don't mess it up. Yeah, exactly. I, w- I want a good Predator film again. All right. Well, my number four has already appeared on your list, and it is The Meg, starring Jason Statham. Yes. Uh, and you said it's here. It's out on April third. Um, and here's the thing: you have mentioned that they're based on a series of books that you have not read. I have read every single one religiously. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm a yeah. huge fan of the series. As I've said on the show many times before, anytime you take any animal and make it giant and make it killer, I'm going to watch that movie or read that book. And uh, so the books by Steve Alton, I, I'm a huge fan of. I've read every single one. I, I adore them. They're a lot of fun. They're great thrillers. And so when I heard they were making a movie about it, out of it, I got super excited. And then when I heard they cast Jason Statham, I was even more excited. Completely, <laughs> completely wrong casting for the character. I mean, absolutely not the right <laughs> casting for the character at all. But 
Um, Sometimes you don't mind. Yeah, do I don't you? care because I love Jason Statham so much, and I hope that this will help kind of propel him. He's been sort of doing this you know, thing for the past few years where he makes these action movies where he's sort of the headliner and they come out and they gross about $20 million and then they make just enough to break even so he can make another one. I hope that this will be, you know, a big, big, huge box office smash and that, you know, it can sort of make him a little bit more like like The Rock where he's, he can anchor a movie a bit better and maybe get some, yeah, some better yeah. projects. I, I like most of his movies anyway, but I'd like to see him hopefully get elevated to a little more A status. So, uh, and I, Giant Sharks, man, just sign me up. Just take my money, you know? Yeah, I'm going to have to read the books. They're, they're yeah, really fun. I like them a lot. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, yeah. I think I forgot to say The Predator is due out in August, yeah. 3rd of August. Yes. Okay. My number four is uh, Solo, A Star Wars Story. Very good. It might have been higher, but I did see The Last Jedi. <laughs> so that's probably why it's a little bit lower. <laughs> we'll get to that after <laughs> the bloopers and things like that. But yeah, obviously it's going to tell us the young, the you know, the story of a young Han Solo and Chewbacca and Lando Calrissian. Uh, and who knows? I honestly have no idea. It's rumored that there could be a trailer out at some point this week. So when this episode airs, it might have actually been out the trailer, right? So I might have seen the trailer and go, "Wow, Solo should have been my number one." Right, exactly. But, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to wait and see because I really don't know. I don't know. The fact they took off the uh, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, yeah, uh, part way through, well, quite a way, long way through, and then Ron Howard took over, and then we shot a lot of it. I like Ron Howard's films. I like Phil Lord and Christopher Miller as well. But Han Solo is such an iconic character. Yeah, I don't know. I hear you. But that's. I think I'm curious. I, I'm curious to see it, even if it's you know I'm gonna go see it anyway. But oh, of course, it's gonna it's one of these ones where I'm I'm nervous to go and see it. I understand. Well, that one is out May 25th, and I know that because it is my number three. Hey, yes, uh, like you, I I mean I feel exactly the same way. Han Solo is my favorite Star Wars character. He always has been. So I'm doubly nervous about it for that reason. Yeah, it's not like they're gonna kill him that character <laughs> off, is it? At any right. point. They're never gonna do that. No. But um, also, you know, a little nervous about Phil Lord and, and Chris Miller being taken off. But I do understand that part of the reason for it was because they were sort of taking it a little farther than than Disney was comfortable with. And I can I can understand that it, it should be a movie with a lot of humor in it because Han is a, a funny character. But I don't know yeah. that it needs to be a, an out and out comedy. And I'm afraid maybe that's what they were going for. Yeah, because he's, he's funny because, well, he's not actually a funny character. It's just that he happens to say a few Sarcastic. Right, he doesn't say things it's to be funny, yeah. but but his character yeah. and his attitude in, yeah. in re- result in a lot of funny situations, a lot of funny moments. So I feel like Ron Howard may be coming in, and I, from what I've heard, he didn't reshoot a lot of stuff. He sort of more finished the film. And yeah. so my hope is that with the humor of, of Lord and Miller and then Ron Howard coming in as a little bit more of a stable director, the meshing of those two might hopefully result in a really great movie. But like you... I'm a little cautious about that. Yeah, I just I just hope it's not a load of things just explaining, you know, every single thing, right. you know, where he got the dice from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why he wears those trousers, why he says he's got a bad <laughs> feeling about this. Right, right. And it's just, I hope it's just not all that. Yes, I agree. Um, I, I, I will say that, you know, originally I had it a little lower on my list, and then as I kept coming back to it, I was like, let's be honest, it's a Star Wars movie. Chances are good. It yeah. could be number one very easily, because I'm always yeah. going to be looking forward to a Star Wars movie. But this one does have a bit of an unknown... Yeah, as long as it's a good story, I just want it to be a good story. Yeah, but I'm so. looking forward to it. So May 25th, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay, my number three is one which I've been waiting for since about 1998. Okay. And it is uh, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote by Terry Gilliam. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Because this is the one uh, which he's been trying to make since 1998. And as one, you hear the term development hell. This is the go-to thing because the, uh, there's the 
brilliant documentary about one of his first attempts. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, called Lost in La Mancha, which if you haven't seen it, go and watch it because it's just, wow. It's a great documentary. And you just see, you know, it's it's hard making a big budget film because he originally, originally had Johnny Depp and Sean Rochefort as Cahotian. And it's, yeah, and it just all fell apart, uh, floods and things. Uh, but it's the basic gist, it's based on Don Quixote, but it's all to do with a marketing executive from today gets thrown back in time and meets up with Don Quixote and has adventures and things like that. But yeah, he's, he's tried to get it made so many times. It's got cancelled, he's lost funding, but he finally started shooting again in October 2016. Apparently he finished filming on the 4th of June and it's meant to be due out at some point this year. But we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's sort of like the Chinese democracy of movies. <laughs> you know, it's just been waiting and waiting and waiting. I didn't make my list because honestly, I just was never that that interested in it. I'm not a yeah. huge Terry Gilliam fan, um, but I'm certainly curious about it, and I will probably go see it when it comes out. Just I just because. I just want him to I want him to manage to just get the film out there. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, even if it's dreadful, just to have achieved it. Yes, after all the crap he's gone through. Yeah, he deserves it for sure. Yeah. Very good pick. All right. Well, my number two is a film that has already appeared on your list, and it is The Predator. Yes. Uh, no big surprise for most people, I think. Just a little while ago, we did our top 10 films in 1990, and Predator was both of our number ones. I'm just such a huge fan of this franchise. I really love the original Predator movie so much, and I really liked the the Predators film that came out a few years back with uh, Adrian Brody. I, I know it didn't do so well at the box yeah, office. Yeah, I, I didn't hate that one. It was bits I liked, but it didn't, as a whole, it just wasn't quite right. But yeah, I still, still enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with that one, actually. And even Predator 2, we've talked about before on the show a few times. It's not the greatest sequel in the world, but we both have a soft spot for it. Yeah. I, I love the, the, the whole world of the Predators. I've read the comics and stuff, and it's just, you know... Again, it was one of those ones that was lower on my list originally, but every time I came back to it, I was like, God, I really want to see that. I just really want it to get relaunched the right way and become a big hit and, and give us more Predator movies so that we have something to look forward to other than Ridley Scott alien movies that are all going to be terrible and overlong and filled with stupid characters. <laughs> um, and really, the cast for it is amazing. It's so many great, familiar faces. Uh, and like you said, Shane Black doing it gives me a lot of hope. So I'm really, yeah, really yeah. excited for this one. I'm bummed that I have to wait until August for it, but I'll take it. Yeah, it's it's nice to know that there's a Predator film coming out. Yes, yes it is. Okay, my number two is one, I think it's probably come out in the States, and I, I know we showed it at some festivals over here, but it's The Shape of Water. Uh, Guillermo del Toro directed it. Um, modern day fairy tale love story with between a woman and the creature from the Black Lagoon. Well, no, it's not her, it's not the Black Lagoon. It's a, you know an Aquaman played by the wonderful Doug Jones. Hi, I'm Doug Jones, and I live for films. Thanks, Doug. Thank you, Doug. Yeah, uh, but we're not getting out on general release here until the 14th of February, which is quite fitting, Valentine's Day, I quite like that. But I can't wait to see it because it's just had so much good word of mouth. The reviews have been stunning for it. He won, didn't he win? He won the Golden Globe for Best Director. Yeah, he won the Golden Globe, didn't he, yep. last night? Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, I cannot wait to see this one because I do like his work, and this one just looks right up my street. Yes, I, I actually didn't include it on my list only because it did open here on Christmas Day, although I believe it was in limited release. I think it was one of those, you know, release it so it's eligible for the awards, but I don't, yeah, I don't think yeah, it's played yeah. very wide yet, so uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that one, but I didn't think to include it just because it had technically already opened here. Uh, an excellent pick. All right, well, my number one, um, you know, I, I was... think I, it might be the it, same. Okay, I was going to say, I was thinking it could be the same, but you could you can always throw it in a little left field one, but I, I, I think we might have the same one it is well mine's mine's actually two films oh okay well so i'll just say the the first the first film 
is Black Panther. Okay, good. Yeah, we're on the same page then. Uh, yeah. My number one then is Avengers Infinity War. Yes, mine is as well. It's Black Panther because that's set before Avengers Infinity War, but then it is, of course, Avengers Infinity War. Yes. What it's all been building up for, and I included Black Panther because I really want to see it because I love Black Panther, but also it's the last standalone film before the mother of all team-ups. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to have the Avenger, every Avengers character, the Guardians of the Galaxy in there. I mean, it's, it's, it's like you said, what's all been building up to. But also, more importantly, is that Marvel just really doesn't make bad films. I mean, they, they really don't. In this this whole phase one that they've done, every movie that's come out really has been terrific. And I, I have especially loved the Avengers films, the Captain America films. Like, you know, this one really is, like you said, what it's been leading to. And, and as long as they don't have a problem with there being too many characters, but because yeah. they're also established already, because we've done the thing where each mo- characters had their own solo movies and stuff, they don't have to spend a lot of time establishing them. Because we all know them. Yeah, right. they took the time. They've had their own films. Are you listening, DC and Warner Brothers? <laughs> Are you listening? Exactly. So we'll we'll be able to just basically get like two hours of awesome superhero action because we don't need to learn about everyone's backstory. So uh, I'm really excited for this one. It's just Marvel just so far... They keep hitting it out of the park one time after another, and I see no reason to think that they're going to mess this one up. It's the Russo brothers who did, um, you know, Winter Soldier and Captain uh, Civil War, and, and Winter Soldier is still one of my absolute favorites of all the Marvel movies. Uh, I just think they're going to hopefully nail it. So uh, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. We're going to see Thanos as well properly now with his with the Infinity Gauntlet, and we're going to have Doctor Strange. Oh, you, you're going to have more Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And there's going to be some death. Some of the heroes will die. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And then, you know, at some point, turn up maybe as new actors. Or <laughs> right, right. No, no death is permanent in comics or movies. Yeah, but uh, I'd, I'd love it. Also, Spider-Man's in it. I'd, I'd love for them to have some of the, you know, just have a little aside, maybe just, you know, see some of the Netflix heroes as well. Just have right, some, right. a quick shot of the Punisher on it. Just if it's on a TV screen or something or Daredevil, just I'd love a bit more tying in. But anyway, that's by the by. But yeah, Avengers... Avengers Infinity War. Well, we've got uh, Black Panther's due out in February. Yep. I think we get it on the 12th. You get the 16th. Avengers, we get it on the 27th of April. Yeah, we don't get it until May 4th. Yeah, why? You guys kill me with the Marvel movies. You got Thor yeah. like two weeks before we did. I know. And then, then the studios wonder why there's you know there's piracy. Yeah, right. But anyway. Anyway, well, good, yes. good choice for number one. Clearly, we're on the same page there. All right. Well, that is our list of the top 10 most anticipated movies of 2018. A lot of good movies I'm looking forward to. Let's hope it's a, it's a good movie year. Yeah, some, uh, yeah, get in touch, though, and share what films you want to see in 2018 because there's lots we missed. Yeah. That's our 2018 Top picks. There you go. Okay. Well, that is going to start to wrap things up for us. We are going to sign off. And then uh, a little bit after that, you'll hear us talking about Star Wars The Last Jedi. So stick around for that if you want to hear spoiler-filled conversation. But in the meantime, before we get to that, Phil, why don't you tell people what we have in store for them next week? Okay. So next episode, we're going to be doing our top 10 films of 2017. So it's not that long ago. And we'll be doing our usual of picking two films which go so well together you wouldn't believe you hadn't thought of it before. (laughs) We'll be going after the ending of the brilliant adaptation of the Stephen King short story, The Body, and the film is Stand By Me, and also The Fly 2. Yes, one of those ones, of course, we have to sort of go after the ending of the sequel because we know what happened after the ending of the original, but we'll sort of kind of wrap up the whole series of films. We'll, we'll, you know, kind of go after the ending of everything that's happened in the first two films. But I do have a soft spot for The Fly, too, so it'll be fun to... Uh, yeah, I quite like it. It'll be well, fun yeah. to, to, to dig into that and have a little fun with it. Yeah, so for those of you wondering, that's the one with Eric Stoltz. Yeah, good times. 
All right. So that is our next episode. So join us then for that. We're looking forward to it. It's good to be back. Uh, But that is going to finish us for today. So we're going to sign off. So as always, we thank you greatly for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. Did you say if one of us says something brilliant or when? (laughs) I said if. Yeah. Because I've been down this road before. That's about right. Okay, well, the day after, the ragtag group of rebels upon... Yep, new year, new start. (laughs) (laughs) But Rey won't give in. When when Boba Fett disarms her with a well-placed blaster bolt is not easy to say. (laughs) I (laughs) know. Here you can hear me asking them what's changed in, you know, no, that's not what I asked them. Come on, where's my music? This is the X Files. Oh, He's giving lyrics now. Oh boy! Don't drink the black oil. <laughs> Watch out for the smoking man. He's gonna get you. Yeah, you know what? When they did the when they did the when they spun the lone gunman off, I went to Chris and I was go, "What the hell is going on? <laughs> They're spinning them off. What about Skinner? Why, why don't they spin Skinner off?" And he goes, he looked at me and he goes. What would it be about? (laughs) And I was like, I have no idea. Something inside me has always been there. Then I was awake. And I need help. All right, Phil, we're back. It is our first after-the-credits sequence, I guess you could call this. Yeah. Uh, we are going yeah. to talk about The Last Jedi. We are going to give away many, many spoilers. We're going to share our opinions about it and uh, probably anger some people while also totally justifying other people, or yes, at least their opinions. Yes. A divisive film. Yes, yes, indeed. Let's start with just like kind of the basics. What did you think of the movie overall? Uh, I was disappointed with okay. it, to be honest. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into it. But what did you think of it? Um. Yeah, I mean, I liked it. I think I I I can't say I didn't like it at all. I I definitely was disappointed. I think the first hour kind of dragged for me. The second hour I really yeah. liked. I mean, once things got yeah. moving, there's a lot to to really enjoy. There are some really great scenes and some great sequences in it. But that first hour was kind of like, oh, this is kind of boring for a Star Wars movie. Let's get things. Yeah, moving you're right. I bit. I preferred the last half to the first. Yes. Half. So that was and one then- of my issues. And there were there were some great moments in it. Yes, there's some great great fights and things like that. But on the whole, I just spent. I mean, there's lots of moments where I was just watching it and going, "Wow, oh, I'm enjoying this." And then something could happen or something could be said, and I go, "Oh, <laughs> why did you do that?" Right. Or then you'd see something happening like layer in space and just going, and then a hand twitch, and I was going, "No, don't don't do this. Right. Don't do that." Right. Yeah, that's that's been a touchstone for people. A lot of people complaining about the the Leia in space thing, and then a lot of people are countering that by saying, "Well, I mean, Jedi can do so many things. Well, who's to say they they can't survive in space?" And you know what? Here's my counter to that. I have no problem with the fact that she survived in space using her Jedi powers. I'm okay with that. I wish yeah. it looked because better. that that that's been done in Star Wars Rebels, right? Where, right. 
it, I yeah. just wish it looked better. I wish she didn't look like a ballet dancer or like a Christmas ornament floating through. Like, you know, I wish that it maybe it had been more like she managed to survive by cocooning herself. And then like a little rescue pod came out to get her rather than her like doing this pirouette looking thing and, and like yeah. flying into the ship like she was out of like a Hallmark Christmas movie. You know, like she was like a, an ice skater. That's the that's what bothered me about that part more was that it, it looked kind of lame. I don't have a problem with the with the idea of her using the force powers. To save herself. Because, yeah. I mean, the Force just, can do a lot of things. So why not? I don't care. Yeah. It just wasn't executed very well. But the main the main thing I had, because I didn't mind her doing it and saying that's it. But there was no there was no setup for it. I mean, we knew she was she could use the Force. and But the only times we've ever seen her do it in all the films, it's just been, you know, she could she, she sensed people. Right. You know, she sensed, she knew they were there and sort of talked to them across distances maybe. Right. But all it, all it would have taken was just maybe see, you know, get a, She's talking to someone and goes to get a drink and it moves into a hand or something like that. Or she just moves something away or just, just something. There was no setup for it. Right. Or there wasn't enough set. Yeah, there wasn't enough setup for it or it wasn't done clearly enough. Because also people were saying, well, how did she survive in space? But you sort of see there are like things burning around her. So you could think, see that maybe there was, you know, the force field was still around her. So there was maybe a little bit of atmosphere. Right. And then she could get back there. But again... Uh, but lots of the things through the film, it, it wasn't shown well enough. It wasn't, it wasn't enough detail. It was like rushed over or just not done very well. Yeah, and what bothered me more about that scene too, though, was that they killed off Admiral Akbar, which a yeah. completely unnecessary, but b you're, you're unclear almost. It's like, wait a minute. Well, wait, is Akbar dead too? Like, what just happened? There's a lot, a lot of people there. I don't know who was there, who wasn't. Yeah, yeah, because they said everybody on the on the main bridge was killed. And then all I could think of was going, well, you didn't really show who was on the main bridge beforehand. Right, right. So it was, it was a little unclear, you know, and that was part of yeah. my problem with the film as a whole was there's a lot of like sloppiness to it where you sort of were like, wait, what's going on or who's doing what or what's, you know. Exactly. Because, I mean, lots of people have been complaining about the fact characters weren't doing what they expected or we didn't get answers to all these theories we'd have since The Force Awakens or and they just changed things. I mean, I didn't mind some of that. Some of it I was going, well, why did you do it? But the, the, my main problem with the film was... Lots of lazy storytelling. Yes. Lots of uh, lots of moments where it could have easily been fixed with a few more edits on the script or in the actual you know editing booth or, or or on set. I got the impression not many people had read the film, read the script. Yeah. Like you know to, to keep a thing secret, not enough people had looked at it and gone, well hold on a minute, we could have had, right. we we could just have the first order ships that are chasing these the rebels. Why don't we have a couple of the star destroyers jump out, hyperspace jump out because we've set that up with the fact that uh, Finn and Rose have jumped out and are going to jump back in. Let's have the Star Destroyers jump out and then jump back in on top of the, the the Rebel ships or in front of them. Right. And there's the end of it. Well, and, and you know, with Finn and Rose, let's let's talk about them for a little bit. So I, I yeah. like Rose a lot. She was one of my favorite parts of the film. I thought she was a great new character. And I, I think that's one thing that these new films have done well is introduce new characters that are instantly endearing to you. Yeah. Um, so I like that. The whole Canto Bite thing, though, the, the casino stuff was was terribly done. And unnecessary yeah, yeah. and also very unbelievable. Like, okay, if they can get away in hyperspace away, why can't the rest of the rebels on board this fleet that's dying quickly do the same thing? You know, um, to me, it would have been much more interesting rather than having them go on the side adventure that really didn't pay off much because they still ended up captured by the Empire. Yeah, yeah. What I would have liked to have seen, I thought it would be more interesting, was maybe something where, like, you have Finn take Rose, like, 
you know, leave the ship and then go back to the Star Destroyer and like try and use subterfuge, like 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 maybe pretending he was actually a stormtrooper all along, but was infiltrating the rebels and then yeah, like bringing Rose in as like a as that. like a prisoner yeah. and trying to like get yeah. back into the good graces of Phasma and then sabotaging them. Like that would have been more interesting. Like I would have much rather seen a storyline with Finn and Rose running around the Star Destroyer somehow, you know, or something like that, rather than off in this terrible over CGI casino, you know, which just didn't ever really work for yeah me. it's just i mean it also again it was another odd decision storytelling decision to have, just have them land the ship they're on on the beach yes just just little things like that yeah. which so and it was only landed there so it would end up getting blown up or right. compounded by the by the police it was only there was all these things done all these decisions made in the story uh to move the plot on, right. and that was the only reason they happened. It, it wasn't organic yes. from the characters yes. and things like this. And it's it just because lots of the reviews and people who are loving it, uh, just saying, you know, saying it was it was a brilliant piece of filmmaking, it was stunning and everything. This and I could think I was going, well, no, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just it was flabby and messy in places when it shouldn't have yeah. been. Yeah, and, and speaking of the, the storytelling, I, I think part of the my problem, we mentioned lazy storytelling, was you know Ryan Johnson, who I do like as a filmmaker overall, but I felt like he, like J.J. Abrams set up these mysteries in the first film of like who is Snoke and yeah. who are Ray's parents, and Ryan Johnson was either too lazy or just not clever enough to figure out good answers, so he just threw them out the window. It was like, who's Snoke? Doesn't matter, because he's dead. Who's Ray's parents? They're nobody. Now I don't have to figure it out. Like, he just kind of took the easy way out. Like, yeah. I'm not saying yeah. I wanted Ray to be, like, a Skywalker kid or, like, Han and Leia's daughter, because obviously that doesn't make much sense. But, like, it just felt like, to me, like, here was these two major mysteries that fans have been speculating about for the past couple of years. And instead of addressing them, he just basically threw them right out the window with the easiest possible out that you could possibly find. Like, Yeah, because, I mean, I didn't mind the fact Ray's parents were nobodies. Right. But, I mean, with the fact it was... It was Kylo telling her this as well, and we'd already had Snoke say he'd been manipulating their communication between them and things like this and changing things. Right. It, it it could it, that can be easily changed. It could she could actually be someone like in like in my after the end and she was a clone, which is I thought what what the whole point of her going into the cave when you saw there was lots of rays. I was going, oh yeah, she's a clone. Right. It's showing as lots of her. Right. Right. And then suddenly she looks in the mirror, and then you're going, well, she's seen a copy of herself. So yeah, she's a clone of that person. Yeah. But no, yeah, I think it. I think that um, I won't be surprised if J.J. Abrams comes back in episode nine and is like, aha, here's the real truth about Jay's par- Jay Ray's parents. Oh, and by the way, remember Snoke? He was actually so-and-so, like, just because I, I think he was setting up something more interesting. Yeah. And Johnson was I, just I, too I, lazy to follow up on it or just not smart enough. I, fi- I, found it, I find it really weird that they don't seem to have planned out the trilogy. Yeah, I think it's odd. Just, you know, just at a basic level, say we want these. Right, these are the beats. These are the beats that are the yeah, important beats. A, B, beats. and right. C. There doesn't seem to be that. And then I was I was looking, a friend of mine sent me a video when, you know, the whole sale of Lucas films to Disney yeah. went on. And there's George Lucas sitting at the table with uh, Kathleen Kennedy. And he's talking about saying how, he, you know, he's stepping back, but he's got treatments for 789. Right. And Kathleen Kennedy's saying, yeah, we're going to look after this. It's a, this is all this wonderful world. It's all basically in George's head. So he's going to be there. You know, we're still going to go back to him. We've got all these wonderful characters we created that we want to treat with respect and deal with and do all this. And all I can think of is going, well, it's not shaping up that way. Right. But the fact they just they just seem to be one guy, one, one film's made, and then the next person comes on and then goes... Oh, what's going to happen next? It's like when you were kids and somebody would draw a picture of like the head of a creature, right, right, fold right. it over and pass it to you and draw the next yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. It's weird. Uh, but I think I think the main one of the main problems with the film 
is the fact it carried straight on from the end of The Force Awakens. Right. Well, but it does it does suffer from the Empire problem, which is where Luke gets trained to be a Jedi in like a day and a half. And it's like sort of like here where it's like, well, all of a sudden after the first film, now the Rebels have like six ships left. Like where how did that happen? But this movie takes place almost yeah. like the day after the first film ends. So it it doesn't really – it the timeline doesn't quite jibe, you know? Yeah, there's bits, there's bits yeah. And the – and the whole thing with Luke on the island. I mean, also after that cliffhanger, you know, where she's holding out the lightsaber, Ray's holding it out. Yeah, and he gets it and he throws it over his shoulder. Yeah, that's where I knew there was a problem with the film. It was right at the very beginning with that because I was like, that, even if he's rejecting the Jedi, he could hand it back to yeah. her or, or do something much more respectful. He wouldn't just yeah. toss it over his shoulder like that. It was such a hackneyed, like forced move, like so out of character. Yeah. If you wanted him to throw it, he would have just thrown it on the ground in front of him. Right. Right. It was a very like modern kind of like he did with like he did with the Return of the Jedi, you know, and he's got it in the real the Emperor's saying, Good, good and he throws it down. Right. Like throws it away like an anger almost, not like tossing over his shoulder like he's a clown. Like that and that's part of my other problem with the movie was the humor. And that was one of those examples of it where it was so forced. Like that that didn't feel organic to me at all. And it was the same thing where in the fight with Kylo Ren when after they shoot him and then he like brushes the dirt off his shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like that's not really a that's not really a thing. Like it's a very part of my problem was there were so many modern anachronisms that made their way into the film which it's the first film that really did that where luke's humor was very like modern kind of and like like yoda who i I, will get to him in a minute but like yoda saying that the the jedi books weren't real page turners i'm like that's a modern phrase that's not a star wars phrase it's it's like it's like poe at the start with hooks saying uh i'll uh, i'll wait am i I in hold or right like this right yeah and you go yeah, because that, that opening bit when that was happening, the first bit I was going, oh, that's cute. Right. And then it, ca- it carried on, and I was going, what? General Hooks, this fight has come up. The whole intent was to just destroy the resistance. Just, you know, they've got to kill them all anyway. This fight comes up. I mean, first of all, he could have just blasted it to begin with, but, you know, he listened to what he had to say, then it wouldn't gone through. Surely just would have gone, oh, just blow it out. Right, the sky. right, right, right. And and the whole thing about the can you hear me and this and that was very again, very modern reaction to like yeah. cell phones and stuff. And so a lot of the the humors and, and some of the dialogue and stuff seemed just just seemed too much set in today's world and not and not timeless like Star Wars typically is, and which is one of the things that the, yeah, the saga the whole franchise has always excelled at, you know. That, that's true. And there's I mean lots of people, you know, saying, Well, there's the Star Wars films have always had humor, and that's very yes. true, but the, the humor always came about from the character's reaction to the situations they were right. in. But this one, it seemed to be the humor was the scene. The joke was the scene. Yeah, it was. It, it felt forced. That was one of my yeah. biggest problems. All the humor felt forced. There were some some chuckles that I had that I enjoyed, but but a lot of it was just like, oh man, that they're working way too hard to make a joke there. And lots of different characters doing the same kind of humor. Yes, yes. When it's uh, whereas it should have been you writing the script. And this particular character would react that way. Oh, that's quite a funny thing. And as a result, you know, but but it just seemed to be, let's write the joke first. Now, who can say that? Right. Oh, we'll pick right. them. Exactly. All right. Let's talk about some things we liked from the movie. I don't want this to just be bashing Star Wars. For yeah, that's minutes. true. So, yeah, because, because there were bits I enjoyed. There, I mean, there was a lot that I enjoyed, but let me start with one of the things I mentioned. I love that Yoda showed up and I love that they used a puppet to do Yoda and he didn't look yeah, CGI yeah. like in the prequels. I, I wasn't expecting him. So it was a really nice that they kept that secret and they didn't put him in any Same of the trailers. Hand, I like that. Uh, I really liked him. I liked that they kept him to a small part, just enough to sort of revisit him and go, oh, yay, a familiar face from the from the past that I love, you know, 
I thought he did a nice job. I, they kept true to his character, I felt like. He was kind of mischievous but wise. Yeah, yeah. So I, I really liked that he showed up, and I thought that that was a neat moment to see Luke and, and, and Yoda, you know, together again kind of on screen because that is sort of a classic, you know, character pairing. Oh, definitely, yeah. And I, I love the uh, the fight scene in Snoke's uh, throne. Yes, room. yes, that looked with fantastic. Because uh, Adam Driver and Ray, I think, for me, they were the best two things about the film the scenes with them i really like yes agreed i, I can understand that because people go well why did for are they talking over that but i could see from a storytelling perspective having them for skype as it were yes. it's a way of the talking because if they did meet up in, to begin with they'd just be attacking each other but this way they could get to know each other and it's it's just it was just it saved a lot of time you know i i, I have no problem with yeah. that yeah but the, the fight in the throne room i just thought that was brilliant the two of them working in unison yeah taking on those guards. It just looked really good as it, well with, you know, the, the bright red and things like yeah, that. Yeah, no, it was cool and, to and see the, the Praetorian guards actually do something, you know, and like... Oh, definitely. And it was I love the bit where the Kylo catches her, the lightsaber, and just like pops it into the guy's head behind yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. I just thought that was brilliant. Yeah. And it was it was cool but, how he took out Snoke. And I did like how you started... To, yeah, I, I like that You started well. to think it was because he was going to be redeemed. Like, they keep giving you these moments with Kylo Ren where you think he's going to be redeemed, and then he goes the other way. And I like that because it makes him yeah, a cool villain, you know? Well, watching that bit as well, I was going, well, one of them's going to go to the other side. Which one's it going right. to be? And I would have been happy with either. Right, right. And then, but then when he said, join me and we'll just burn this all down and we'll bring something new, I was going, wow, this really is going to change things. Because lots of, lots of people have been saying it's great because it's just, it's totally changed things from, you know, but, and I thought that, that would have been brilliant. Have them work together. Right. And then suddenly, who knows what's going to happen, but it didn't. Right, but, right. Yeah, but I like that. Um, I loved the look of the battle on crate with the, like the the red salt or whatever it was. Um, yes, I thought that looked good. really cool. But I wish something had happened though. I mean, really, that whole scene ended up with a bunch of ships speeding towards these kind of ad at looking things, and then basically all peeling off because they were outgunned. Yeah. Like, there was, well, I wish there had been a little more I, of a battle there. I thought that was going to be a great story thing for Finn. Yeah. Uh, where I thought he was going to sacrifice. Himself. I, I was thinking that too, and I was like, "Ooh, this is about to get interesting." Yeah. But then when also the bit because I did enjoy bits of the film, but the but Rose smashing into Finn to save him, yeah, uh, that could have killed the two of them. Well, yeah, and I thought she was going to end up sacrificing herself, and I thought, oh, this yeah. is a good way to bring in a character and make you like her, and then and then sacrifice her. I thought she was going to push him out of the way and then go into the beam like he was yeah, going so, to. So she she knocks him out, and they both they both crashed, they both could have died, but they didn't. Yeah. and then the uh, the battering ram laser, which was a dreadful name, takes out the uh, the door, and that could be the. For that all night, that could have been the end of the rebellion. Right. I just thought that I thought that was really weird. It was like it was changed last minute. Yeah, yeah. I did like the end. I, mean, I will say I like the end with with Ray using the Force and and you know rescuing what what little is left of the rebels and having that that final shot with Princess Leia and Ray and Finn and Poe and BB-8 and all them on yeah. the, on yeah. the Millennium Falcon. Like that was a cool shot. It was a neat kind of feel to it, and especially with Carrie Fisher being gone, I and, and it's gonna be tough for them to figure out what to do with her in the next film. But uh, I did think that was cool, kind of like. I did like the fact about it that they did sort of reset the status quo a little bit by by sort of making the rebels literally down to like 12 people now. I mean, that certainly does put yeah. them in a tough spot for the next film. I, I personally think that when she said the thing about, you know, they all support us, but they won't come help us. I think there's more to that. I think we're going to see that there is more of a rebellion out there that maybe they couldn't get there in time or they, you know, whatever reason. Yeah. But I did kind of like that. I was like, all right, they did actually, you know, certainly because everyone complained that The Force Awakens was just a rehash of A New Hope, which I hate that argument. But at least you can't say that this movie was just a rehash of any other Star Wars movie. I mean, they certainly did change up, you know, a lot of things and, and sort of yeah. reset the status quo a little bit. So that's kind of interesting, yeah. you know. 
Although the ba- the basic plot of them, you know, the Empire chasing the Resistance ships was uh, like an episode of Battlestar Galactica. Well, yeah, that's that's true. But but I I also found that as well. It was it was such an odd main plot. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, hey, a slow motion chase is going to be the anchor of our of our you know billion dollar film. And, and also, you mentioned Leia, Carrie Fisher as well. They had two brilliant opportunities to give her a really good send off. Yes, yes. And because apparently they finished it a few months before the film was due out, so they could have rejigged thing. I'm sure. But the bit when uh, you know she got blasted into space, I love that bit when you see Adam Driver going, "No, I can't kill right. her." Right. And then because he, he knew it's it still got it still got blown up, and when she was blasted out into space, I was me and I took my daughter to see it, and the two of us looked at each other and went. <gasps> That's the end of Leia. Right. Me too. And we both go, and we go in. I was thinking, wow, I didn't expect to do it like that, but it shows, you know, this is war. Anything can happen. Right. Uh, and I was thinking, that's a real good way of doing it. I didn't expect it. It's taken me by surprise, but wow, what a what an ending for that character. Right. And then we have the space. Then we had, you know, the space battle. Yeah. That. That's why I was going, no, don't do this. Don't do this. And then he did. But then at the end, the, the other thing they could have done was had Carrie Fisher do, do the Laura Dern thing, you know, and go on the ship. Right. And protect the others, right. especially because when Laura Dern's saying I'm going to stay, Carrie Fisher's going, "No, I've seen too many others die." Right. And it was again all the setup was there for for Leia to be the one to do it, and then you see her get on with the other rebels. And I was thinking, what are you? Again, it was like, did nobody? Did you not see that in editing? It's just messy. Right. It wasn't well, clear. and I think I think the reason for that though, I think the problem was. You know, in Force Awakens, it was Han Solo's movie, and and he died. And then in this movie, it was yeah. Luke Skywalker's movie, and then he died. And I think they were setting it up for the next film to be Leia's film, and maybe for yeah. her to die at the end of that. And then I think, you know, that obviously can't happen now. But I don't think they knew that when they were making the film. But I, I agree with you; both of those would have been better opportunities. It, it will be challenging to see where they go from here now. But I know because apparently they said they're not going to do, they're not going to use any footage. Or CGI for the next right, film, so right. it's just that's that's the th- frustrating thing about it. There's a good film in this, right, right, a really good film in this, but you need to take half an hour out of it and just re-edit, just do things. It's just it's frustrating. I was disappointed and frustrated with it because there's good things in it, right? Although you probably wouldn't think that from the way I'm talking <laughs> about it. Well, there's two other things, two other points I just want to make real quickly. One is. Uh, I'm glad to see Captain Phasma got a slightly bigger role this time. I'm annoyed that they decided to kill her off. I mean, yes, yeah. she could survive, but it really looked like she died. It was like, why does Star Wars always do that? They did it with Darth Maul. Like, you have this cool, great-looking villain. Yeah. She could have just fallen somewhere and out of reach and, and brought her back for the next film. Why do you have to kill her? Like, And why did she do what a Bond villain does, you know, and say, instead of telling the troopers to just shoot right. Finn and Rose, he goes... Get the the special executioner ones who have the axes to come and kill him. Yeah, right, right, right. Just just shoot him. You've got eighteen hundred stormtroopers yeah. there. Um, yeah. The other thing was I have to bring this up because some some friends of our of the show uh, called me out on on their podcast. So uh, our friends uh, Travis and company over at the Debate Club uh, took issue with me on Facebook mentioning how much I hated the scene where Luke walks up to the giant Doctor Seuss dinosaur creature and squirted milk out of its nipple and and drank it they took issue oh yeah with oh that. they took me to task Guys, big time oh no they, they think i'm i'm afraid of nipples apparently is, is something like that um it's got a lot to do with that it's just got to do with the fact it's a really odd scene. yeah one of the guys was saying how it's like the this it's just out of the old martial arts scene movies it's the old master trying to you know shoot off the young student by doing all these things to you know to, to turn them off and that's that's a perfectly 
A perfectly great but, example but of a, that. But again, because of the lazy writing and, and the way it was made, that doesn't come across. Well, right, and we're not watching an old martial arts movie. I mean, that yeah. that works great in those settings, but I, I, it just it was just unnecessary to me. I didn't care for it, and it's one of those things and, where you can say I don't like nipples and blah blah blah, but I know that when I go watch that movie with my ten year old kids who haven't seen it yet, they're going to be freaked out by that. They're both going to go ew because that's disgusting to them. They don't they don't. You know, that's well, gross you know, to them. I, yes, I know where milk comes from, but it was just such a disconcerting and unpleasant scene, and it didn't do anything. All the other stuff Luke had done would have been enough to, to kind of fall into that school of, oh, we're trying to scare Ray off, you know? That to me, and also it's just weird. Like, there's this creature just sitting there, like, and then it kind of looks yeah. at him, like, at the. That was the weird thing that that looks you get uh, the creature gives to Ray. Yeah, that was creepy. So, so like, oh, and it's like, sort of like, uh, hey, how are you doing? So that's the, that, that right. That's the part of it that just to me was like, uh, you know, I, if he had just milked it and then taken it back, and then later they showed him drinking it or whatever, it's one thing. But like, that's the equivalent of like somebody walking up to a cow and pulling on its udder right into their mouth. Like, I'm sure there's people who do that on farms, but I'm not one of them. I think that's gross. Yeah, you know, and I just, and I think it was gross it here just, too. Yeah, it was just just it was an odd. And the money, the decision. money they must have spent to CGI that creature just so they could have yeah. Luke drink milk out of it and then they couldn't even make it blue at least then you could say oh look he found a place that has blue milk just like he loves on his home planet but no it was green yeah you can only get get blue milk from banthas so right but you know at least it's like a a substitute (laughs) so anyway to all our friends at the debate club i love you guys and i love your show but you're completely wrong as far as the the creature milk scene yeah well i I was thinking maybe what for my after the end and i was thinking it could be this uh there's actually this this skywalker milk which is going through the galaxy and it's highly addictive for people, you know, <laughs> want to know where you get it from. Right. <laughs> but it's, uh, but the the end of the film as well, you said you liked it as well. I, I, it was good, but it's, you get to the end of the film and you're not much different from where you were at the start of the film. Right. Apart from there's less resistance and that's about right. it. Right. Well, I mean, that's true, but I guess since it's the middle part of a trilogy, you could make the same argument about, about Empire. Yeah, but it's, but when you watch the ending of it, it didn't feel like the, the middle part of a trilogy ending. It felt like it was almost the end. Uh, I don't know. See, I, I disagree with you on that one. I felt like it definitely was like, hey, we're in trouble. There's only a handful of us left. We're still on the run. The, the end. Yeah. You know, I feel like there's definitely yeah. more to come. Here's what I'll say. And I know this won't be the most popular opinion in the world, but as somebody who absolutely loves The Force Awakens, I really do love that movie. I really enjoyed The Force Awakens. Yeah. I feel like J.J. Abrams is going to come in and fix everything. You know, he's going to he's going to give us a, a third chapter that's really going to just knock our socks off. So I, that yeah. is something I'm looking forward to. Yeah, because, I mean, lots of people will go and oh well people just don't like this new the last jedi because you know you know they just they can't get away from the original films you know they're too in love with it blah 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 and it's, it's not that at all i'm I'm glad that they're changing things up and stuff but this is on oh, the fact of going oh yeah it's getting away from all the skywalker stuff but this is this is the skywalker saga right right it has been from uh, the original trilogy and then episode one it's all to do with the sky but it feels like this one has ended the skywalker saga right and where do we go now? Yes, well, that's where that's where Although, JJ's going to You know, Kylo Ren, but uh, and I just hope I just hope Episode Nine just doesn't end with a big lightsaber fight between Kylo Ren and Rey. Well, I think that's probably a given that it's going to. But no, I think there will be one. But I I hope that's not the big right, the big climactic finale. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully it won't. Hopefully JJ will come in and save the day. But I I I, I think that he will. So yeah. Well, that is that is Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Those are our opinions about yeah. it. Like I said, I think I liked it more than you did, Phil. But I certainly had some issues with it. Yeah. But yeah. that's our take. That's what we think. And uh, 
Hopefully you enjoyed it, but... Yeah, we probably could have spoken about it for a few more hours. But... <laughs> yeah, and nobody nobody needs that. We can do that. We can do that off the mic. Yeah. All right, well, that's the end of our After the Credits sequence. So uh, we've already signed off. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. We will catch you guys next week. Yes, you're good fans for listening. Roll on episode nine.